Okay, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have a little illustration this morning that we're going to do. Um, I do better with pictures and illustrations. Um, I don't know what that tells about my IQ, but I like pictures, and I like to see things illustrated, so we're going to try to do that this morning a little bit in a few minutes, but... In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at verse 7 together. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you bless this message. Really speak to us, Lord, as we open your words. Some of us need encouragement. Some of us need healing. Some of us need divine intervention in our families. Lord, I just have been thinking about parents all week. Just the amazing job that parents do, the thankless job, and day in, day out, parents, grandparents serve their kids, and and we too are your kids, and you are our parent, God, and you are the great parent, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your unconditional love towards us. Teach us to be like you, God, as the Father as the mother is like the Holy Spirit in the family, the father is like God the Father, and then there's the Son, Jesus Christ, which is the child in the Trinity. And Lord, we want to ask you that you would bless our kids, bless our families, keep them safe. Just pray for Isaiah with his injury to his cheekbone, that that would not be anything serious. In Jesus' precious name, bless this message. Amen. You know, I would like to just to do just a short series, and I'm sorry I'm not wearing a tie. Is that, does that bother anybody? Um, I just put on jeans, a suit coat, and a, no tie, so I'm not getting Laodicean or, or lazy, but I just felt that, that was God's mood today, so that, you understand what I mean. We walk by sight, oh, I'm sorry, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are very visual creatures, aren't we? What we see really impacts us. And it very much, it really impacts the way we live and the way we function. And we really are affected by what we see. And when we look at the Bible and when we look at the Christian walk, our Christian walk is characterized by a life of trust in God. And if we look at Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it says that in the last days will the Son of Man find faith on the earth. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And as the last days progress, as we see the latter days of uh, the human race and the plan of God for this earth, we see less and less of a conviction of absolute faith or even any kind of absolutes. And when we look at faith, well, you have to first understand what true faith is. True faith can be something that is defined as uh, trust in an unchanging, unfailing person, Jesus Christ. That is where faith begins. Faith does not begin inside of you or me. Faith begins in the person of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus Christ and we look at his life, we were never commanded by God to be like Christ in a, in a vicarious way. We were not commanded by God to uh, 
uh, be crucified and be an atonement. Our blood would be an atonement for sinners. What we are commanded and what we are asked by God to do is to be transformed into His image. Trusting or faith always begins in the person and the word of Jesus Christ. It never begins in you and I. I want to talk about that in a minute. Today, you may have heard, and this is nothing really new, but really since the 60s and I think the 70s, we have heard this term, the leap of faith. How many have ever heard that leap of faith? You've got to take a leap of faith to experience anything, or this is what people say, or um, I'm so desperate, I just need to take a leap of faith out of my situation, just just uh, dive right in headlong and and uh, whatever happens, happens. And this is a philosophy that is not true faith. When you talk about when we talk about faith, we're not talking about a leap of faith. A leap of faith really was a term that came into being by a Danish philosopher who is really the uh, the the originator of modern thought and modern the- uh, philosophy in this subject of faith. His name was Soren Kierkegaard. And he lived from 1815 to 1855. And he, uh, he was um, a Christian. He was a theologian. But he, in, in this area of the subject of faith, took on the spirit of the age. Now, my, my great-grandparents are Danish. They came from Denmark in uh, 1896. And uh, that was a time in Scandinavia and in... Europe where there was really people were very dis- desperate about their situation and the uh, and what happened was that many of them were just immigrating to the states it was really a leap of faith for them because of desperation of where they were at in their own country but a leap of faith is not god godly faith a leap of faith is something that happens when a person because of despair in their circumstance has no other rational options, so they're going to do something crazy and outside of the box. And usually that's a very bad decision, nine times out of, out of ten. Uh, what had happened was is that the age of, the age of irrationalism began in Europe uh, in the late 1800s. In the United States, probably 1935 is when the age of just irrationalism began, when people began to live and depart from absolutes. And this is really one of the reasons why Europe was plunged into chaos, and that's why we see the World, World War I and World War II around those years. And so what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, I, w- I want us to re- look at that together, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible talks about this age that we're living in, in a very irrational, uh, impulsive society that we live in, that basically states, if it feels good, do it. Uh, follow your heart. That's another type of philosophy. Follow what your feelings are. Second Timothy chapter 4, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And these perilous times are described in the following verses as that men will be lovers of themselves. They will be men that are heady, high-minded, that they're brutish. But also, if we go back to 1 Timothy, 
if you go back a little bit to 1 Timothy chapter 4, it also describes more about the age that we live in. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says this, that now faith expressly says, I'm sorry, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. Now, what does this mean? The word depart is a word that describes a leaving or a departure from a place that a person once stood. It's made up of two Greek words, meaning to move away from, and the second part of the Greek word is uh, histomai, or which basically means to stand or a standing. What will happen is in the last days is that people will leave not faith, but the faith. And there's a difference here. The Bible talks about faith, which is really what we talk about, in the, what we'll talk about in a minute, the, the mechanics of faith. But the faith, the, this cardinal set of doctrines that we find in the Bible, the, that Jesus is God, that the Bible is the unf- infallible word of God, that it contains the entire word of God, it is the word of God, the inspired word of God, and so on and so forth. People in the last days will depart. They'll just stop believing in God and they'll have their reasons. And really, this is what this verse is saying, actually, in the Greek, that it says that some will depart. And what it's actually saying is, and I'm not a real super grammar person, but I like taking verses apart a little bit and looking at them. In the Greek here, it's in the middle voice. And the middle voice in this context means that something has happened to that person and it's caused them to make a decision. Something has happened. They are kind of in the middle of what's happening. They were in some way victimized or seduced, or they were led astray, and then they themselves made a decision that I'm no longer going to believe that anymore. This can happen on different levels in a person's life. They are departing from the faith. And this happens. It says that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so we see in this verse that there is spiritual warfare. And for us to understand that there is a spiritual warfare for your faith today, that the devil does not want you to believe God and to trust God and to believe in God. The devil wants you and I to, in some way, depart from a stand that we once had about what we believed in. And that departure leaves us, as Paul said, in a shipwreck. I don't know if you've ever been in in a shipwreck in some way, in a relationship or in your personal life or in your faith or your belief system, but it is a disaster. And there's a lot of casualties. And I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but we do have to understand that there are demonic spirits that go around looking for people that have needs in their soul, that they are living in um, unbridled desire and lust, and that demon will feed that, and that will cause a person to just wander away. And that happens. Sometimes people will come into God's plan, and then they'll just wander off, because there are unresolved things in their soul that they are looking for, but they're not going to God for. And so, wandering away, and um, and this is really sad. Now, I just want to, I want to look at a couple of things. We talked about a leap of faith that a person may find themselves in a very ir- irrational situation. And if I'm in a situation where that is 
that I am not able to rationalize and understand. If I don't trust God and trust his word, then I'm going to be taking a leap of faith off of some cliff somewhere into something that will be very destructive. I'm going to do something crazy. I just feel, sometimes we get this feeling like, you know what, I just want to go do something absolutely crazy. Have you ever had that crazy thought like, you know, I just want to go out and just, you know, disappear and become another person and do something absolutely crazy. Or I just want to go, people do this with drugs, they do this with alcohol, they do this with relationships, they do this with a lot of different things. And this is a leap of faith that they would call, but this is, absolute, this is actually deception. This is um, very, this is demonic and this is very destructive. And so what happens is, is that um, we can see this in our society, that society has departed so far off of the mark of biblical foundations that we've become, our nation and our societies come into a very desperate state. And it's going to get worse, like what the Bible says. Even our politicians have, so-called politicians that are so-called conservative have left biblical foundations and now are functioning in something that is conservative, but it's not biblical. And so they're lost. And so even the conservative field in the political world is struggling for identity and struggling to understand what they believe. I hope I'm not speaking kind of, you know, I want to make this practical. And so what's happening is, is that there is a sense of desperation. And that's what happens when we become desperate and we find ourselves in a desperate situation, not able to rationalize and think our way through. The temptation is, is to go do something crazy, to take a leap of faith to go roll the dice and see what I, maybe I get a better lot in my life if I just go roll the dice and see what comes up with that. That's a leap of faith, and that's not godly faith. That's not the holy faith that we read about in the Bible. Another kind of faith that we may have heard about is presumptuous faith. Presumptuous faith is to, when, when we make a conclusion based on the wrong facts, facts that we think are fact, but they're really the wrong facts. Now let me ask you, do you know the difference between presumption and assumption? Who knows the difference? I needed to, I, I, I needed to tweak that this morning when I was, yeah. I think presumption would be assuming something, but then pursuing what you assume. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Let's stop for about 10 minutes and think about what he just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? I know what the I, my landlord one time told me what assume means. I can't repeat it though. <laughs> presumption, from what I have gathered, is presumption is a decision based on some type of criteria that seems to be seems to be factual. Uh, you get a letter in the mail with a picture of your car running a red light. Ever get one of those? <laughs> You look, at the, you, look at the, you look at the picture and the license plate, and you say, I presume that's my car. And that's based on some kind of factual information. But if the license plate wasn't there, but it was the same color as my car, I would say, I don't know. Uh, to assume is to make a decision or make an assumption based on no information, based on just what you feel or what, you're, what you think. And there's really no evidence to make that decision. 
presumptuous faith and uh, assumption is, you know, we kind of know what that is, but presumptuous faith is very tricky because what it means is, is that, you know, when we, when we talk about living by faith, sometimes people say, you know what, okay, I'm going to live by faith. Okay, I just got to do something crazy and radical and take a leap of faith in my life because I don't know where I'm going. I'm in a crazy situation. I'm just, I'm pressed on every side. I just got to move to Nevada. <laughs> just start over. Okay? That's a, that's, that is presumptuous. No, I'm sorry. That's a leap of faith. Presumptuous faith is like, okay, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm under pressure. I feel like I have these needs that are not being met. But I got to be Christian about it. So I'm going to pray, God, this is what's happening. And then, and then an opportunity shows up. But it's not God's will. It's good, but it's not the perfect will of God. Remember that? We talked about the good, but not the perfect. And so something good comes into our life because the devil also is not dumb and he's watching our lives and he's, he wants to counter, throw counterfeits at us. And so the devil says, here, I'm going to throw a counterfeit at him. And then we say, you know what? This is exactly what I've been praying for. This must be God. And based on this, presumption presumption and this information and the criteria and the opportunity you know god i need money and then someone says hey let's go play the lottery or let's go let's go gamble or that's just a crazy example but an opportunity comes and it's like it comes to us but it is the wrong information it's the wrong basis to make a decision that by presumptuous faith is always defeated by just waiting on god it, you know we are, you know, we're human beings, and we fall, we fall prey to this all the time. It's suppose there's something in my life, and you know something, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? We don't know our own heart. You don't know your heart. I don't know my heart. And you don't know your family's heart or your wife or husband's heart. I mean, we do to a certain measure. But the Bible says that there is a deep, bottomless pit in everybody's heart, and that's called... Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the, the, the deceitful heart. And so there are things that rise up sometimes in our hearts, and it's the core of our being, and we really feel, wow, this is really what I want. This is me. I feel this is me. This is what I want. And it rises up, and it takes over the emotions. But you know what? It, it may not be God, and it probably isn't God until we've waited it out with God. And just presumption is when I say, you know what? I need this in my life. And I think this is, you know, and I make the decision myself. I play God in my own life. And I, instead of bringing it to the cross, saying, God, this is probably you, but I'm just going to put it there. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to walk away. And I'm just going to, and if you bring it back, then, you know, and if you keep bringing it back, then I'm going to, it's like Elijah. Remember Elijah poured 12 barrels of water on the, on the offering before he, before he uh, lit it when he was in, in, in competition with the prophets of Baal. Not competition, but in controversy with them. And he made the situation that much more impossible because he really wanted God to, to really shine through. And he didn't want anything to happen that was of his own doing. And this is what presumptuous faith is. It's when I presume that something is God's plan based on just a few pieces of information. And I haven't really prayed it through yet. And I haven't really surrendered her to God's sovereign providence. Like, God, this is, you know, you are sovereign, you are God. 
And there are many things in my life that I've wanted to do in my life, but what I've done is I've, my wife and I have brought it to the cross, and, you know, we found out that wasn't God's will. And it's like, wow. And then later on, you're, you're just kind of, we're kind of scratching our heads like, God, you know, that was so awesome. What an opportunity that was. But, you know, but then later on, you know what happens? God begins to show us, wow, I'm so glad we did not do that because now what's looking happen- look, look what's happening over there. And we find out that that wasn't God's plan. And so presumptuous faith is not a leap of faith. And so God is always addressing your faith. Every detail of your life, everything that God says to you, everything that God allows in your life, everything that happens to you on every level of your life, God is addressing your faith. He's saying, are you going to trust me for this? How are you going to look at this situation? Are you going to look at it through the prism, through the, 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 the glasses of the word of God? Are you going to look at it through divine perspective? God is always addressing people's faith. And Jesus always did that in the Gospels. He always addressed people's faith. And he addressed it, what their faith was in. The Bible doesn't talk about growing in faith. Show me a verse that says grow in faith. I don't know. Maybe there is something like that. I've never seen a Bible verse in the Bible that says grow in faith. (laughs) Some of you are like, okay, I'm going to find that verse. (laughs) One time my English teacher said, there is no word in the English language where you does not come after Q. It's Q-U, every word. If you can find me a word that is in the English language that, has a U, that doesn't have a U after the Q, then I'll give you a buck. I went right to the dictionary, and I found you know, a word, Qatar, and she had to give me a buck. So I hope you guys... I don't find any Bible verses that says, grow in faith. What I, do say, what I do see the Bible saying is growing in grace in 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you and I grow in the grace of God, understanding God's love and favor and grace in our life, God's um, his amazing desire to be gracious in your life, if we look at that, then we're going to grow in our faith. Our faith is just going to bloom. And it's very important because... Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, 2, and 3, he said, you know, if you're, he was talking about forgiveness, forgiving your brother. And the disciples all just shook their head and they said, you know what, Lord, increase our faith. That's impossible. I can't forgive that person or these people. 70 times 7. And Jesus said, the issue is not about how much faith you have. Jesus never made the issue about faith. Now, that brings us to two verses I want to look at. In Matthew chapter 8. Are you following me? Am I going too fast? Do I need to back up? If, if I go in too fast, just tell me to slow down. Matthew chapter 8, there's two verses. Verses 10 and verse 26 that, that describe faith. The first verse, Matthew 8 verse 10. Jesus is saying to a centurion, which was a man that oversaw 100 Roman, 100, 100 soldiers. He was a centurion. And the centurion, in Matthew chapter 8, came to Jesus with a request. And um, in verse 5, and let me just read this to you. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And he said to him, 
I will come and heal him. The centurion asked, answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And, he, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And in verse 10, Jesus, when he heard it, he marveled and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not in Israel. Now, what is he saying about great faith here? Mm-hmm. Is he talking about how much? No, he's not. He's talking about a centurion who understood who Jesus was. And when we understand who Jesus is, our faith grows. Don't worry about growing your faith. Don't worry about growing your your your. Uh, your vision. Don't worry about growing those types of things because focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Whenever you get disoriented in your life and you're starting to lose faith or you're losing the faith, get your eyes on Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, is that everyone that's ever messed up, got messed up in their theology has done so because they've departed from the person of Jesus Christ. When you leave the person of Jesus Christ, that's going to affect your theology, it's going to affect your marriage, your family, your kids, it's going to affect your health, everything in your life. The next verse we see that Jesus describes faith is actually in verse 26. And let's back up a little bit in verse 23 to read the context. Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him, awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. They had a panic attack. They were just, they were panicking. And he said to them in verse 26, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Now, if faith is not the issue, why is Jesus saying you have little faith? He is saying this because Jesus, the person, the object of our faith, is in the boat with the disciples. And they're not understanding who Jesus is in that circumstance, that Jesus is in the boat with them sleeping. If the disciples understood Jesus like the centurion did, then the disciples would not be panicking in the boat. But the disciples don't understand who Jesus really is. And this is such a great mystery for the disciples. Isn't it so interesting that the centurion wasn't the disciple but he was, just a, he was just a regular guy in the military. But he understood at that moment more than the disciples who Jesus was. Sometimes it's the disciples that have the most to learn and that are the slowest learners. So if you feel like you're learning slow, take heart because that's the way they can go sometimes. His, their faith were, was, was little because they didn't understand the power of Jesus Christ in the boat. Jesus arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, there was a great calm, and the, and the men marveled, and this is when the aha moment happens for them. They say, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? They have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so when we get lost in our faith, and that's going to happen, sometimes we're going to be doubting, we're going to be in a place later on down the road, maybe years down the road, and we're going to be like, you know what, did I make the right decision here? Get your eyes on Jesus Christ, and he's going to calm the storm. And so I want to just give a little illustration, I hope this works out, to describe how faith works. Now, when we talk about faith, remember, faith is in an object, and faith is not first emotional. So um, give me a moment here. I'm going to set this up. I'm going to set two props up. I'm going to ask Isaiah to come up. (laughs) 
Is that? Okay. I'm going to ask Isaiah. No, I didn't make a mistake with that. Okay, Isaiah. If I was to ask you to sit on this table, what would you say to me? No. Very smart boy. <laughs> raised well. Why would you not be sitting on this table? Because it's missing a leg, right? What would happen if you sat on the table? It would fall, and you would fall with it, right? It doesn't look like it's very sturdy. I wouldn't really trust sitting on this, would you? Okay, so you don't really want to sit on this, do you? From, from what you see. It, it doesn't look like it's going to hold you, right? Okay, what about this? Come here for a second. Would you sit on this? Why would you sit on this chair? Because there's no legs missing. There's no legs missing. And how many chairs have you sat on that had all four legs that ever f fell down? Not many. <laughs> Not many. Well, that, that kind of... <laughs> so, um, if you were going to sit on the table or on the chair here, which one would you sit on? The chair. Okay, why would... So, you're gonna, so when you sit on the chair, what's going through your mind when you're sitting down on the chair? What are you thinking about? Like, no. Exactly. We're not thinking, are we? No. We just sit on the chair, right? So sit on the chair and see what happens. Okay, it didn't break, did it? <laughs> so the chair here, just sit there for a second. The chair is an example of God in our life, isn't it? Maybe you've seen this illustration before, but the chair is something that we look at, we see there is a history of chairs holding me, we see that the purpose of the chair is to hold me. And we see also that, um, and I think maybe I've had one or two chairs in my life that I've sat on that have gone under, out from underneath me. But historically, the chair can hold us, right? And so when we sit down in the chair like he just did, he didn't really, he didn't really, how many chairs do you inspect before you sit down on them? What? <laughs> <laughs> how many times do you really inspect a chair or look at a chair before you sit down on it? Not much, right? Because we know that the chair will hold us. And that's the way it is with God, isn't it? Is that when we have the promises of God and we have his historical testimony and we have his and his promises, then we know that we can just sit down and relax, right? Now, Isaiah could be standing here and looking at the chair, examining the chair for hours, not trusting the chair, but what would happen to him if he never sat down? What would happen to you if you never sat down? You get tired, right? You would get tired. And that's what happens to us when we don't sit down in the promises. We just get tired and we get worn out and we get tired and, and Christianity becomes for us just something that we can't do anymore. Thanks, Isaiah. Give Isaiah a big hand. Um, and so that's, the, that is an, that's a simple illustration that faith grows when we are in a safety zone, when we're in a safe zone. You know, when you're dealing with very, very young children, um, they don't have the uh, ability to grow in trust and in love if they don't feel safe. And safety is the number one thing for children that they must feel in a home or in an environment. And the same thing with us. 
if we feel that we are safe in the love of God, then that's the optimal place for us to grow. And that is why a church that preaches grace in the finished work is so important because there's no way we can spiritually grow without that. A child is not going to grow. And so this is, this is very important. I want to I wrap this up with this, that in Hebrews chapter 11, and maybe we don't really have time to get into all of this right now, but Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll just turn with me there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 1, I'm going to read this to you. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, or who were these elders? They were the ten spies, or the two spies that went in to the promised land, Caleb and Joshua, received a good testimony or a good report. Faith is two things for us. It is evidence and it is substance. Make, this life, make life decisions based on the word of God in your life. Don't hold back in your decision making because you're, you are unsure of what's going to happen. Um, whenever we become uh, fearful or struggle with fear, um, we, we need to look back at God's reputation in our life. We need to look back at how God has provided for us. I know that it's easy for maybe a single person to not worry about this, but when we have families and kids and when, we have, when we're responsible for other people, that's when the decisions get hard because we are taking into consideration them also. But you know something? As a family, make decisions in your family by faith. Make decisions to pray with your family if you can. Make decisions to initiate God's mind at the dinner table or just, you know, just in common conversation, just inject uh, God's thoughts there. You know, pray together if you can. If you're, if you're, in, if you're um, someone in your family or your mate or your child or grandchild is struggling, then just say, you know what, let's have a prayer. Let's just say a prayer. And it might be awkward for them. But you know something? They're going to see God answer those prayers. Lead and walk by faith in your family. If, you're, if we're a single person, then make decisions in your single life to honor God and to have standards in your life. Because you know something? God honors that, and it's walking by faith. And I'm just going to finish with this. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You know, faith to faith is really kind of a pattern in our life. You know, faith this month and then faith next month. You know, we, ha- we, we know the term living from paycheck to paycheck, right? And then there's that valley in between, you know, as a, as a single person learning how to make a budget. Sometimes those valleys were very big for me, you know, uh, living from paycheck. And then most of the time it was valley and then there was the paycheck. But, you know, faith to faith in Romans 1.17 means that when you walk by faith in your life, it may be shaky and you may feel weak, but you know something? God is revealing his righteousness through you and, and angels and principalities and family and people are seeing the way you live and it's impacting their lives. And I just want to say in the end that God honors faith, that when, when you and I 
put our trust in the word, then the result is God will always come through eventually. And so just a few things about faith and just a few definitions about what faith is and what it's not. And cast not away in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, and I love this verse, cast not away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. Those greatest things that we have in our lives as a Christian are things that if you look back are things that you've gotten because you took steps of faith. Those greatest blessings in your life are those blessings that you, that God gave you because you took steps of faith. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for faith. Lord, that we can...